Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hello and welcome to Leaving Hill Song. My name is Tanya and I am super excited that you are here and that we're all here because I missed you last week. We sat up compiling the evidence and putting things together and by the end of it, uh, it was a little bit precarious. So we decided to, uh, on the side of caution, Best. Now, welcome to today. Welcome to our little show. I'm going to introduce you to a beautiful married couple, Scott and Kat. Now, Scott and Kat are remarkably distinct individuals, as you'll find out. And yeah, that kind of harmony and melody together as a as a married duo, uh, they're a lot younger than me, I suppose they're about 30 or something, and they've had a lot of life experience between them, and a lot of Hillsong life experience, particularly music, and that's why today is by the door of the ear, they're fancy, sometimes we're a little fancy here, you know, a little bit upper class, uh, and so that's one to think on, Cut and Scott, Met in Hillsong, uh, one of them basically grew up there, the other was churched and yeah, they spent their 20s, Scott more than Cat, on stage. Uh, he's a singer and um, 
Cat is classically trained. She plays a violin. Well, they're just fantastic. I, uh, you know, they, we sat down, we've actually sat down to talk three times and come up with just, these guys have just got so much wisdom and experience and just knowledge of how it all works and particularly the music element of Hillsong. It's, it's brand new stuff for our show. It's, it's really, really interesting. And we just talked and talked and talked. Uh, quick heads up. There is a mention of self-harm halfway through. A little warning. Apart from that, this warning you're going to have your pants charmed off by these two. But Hillsong is all about the music. It is the absolute gateway drug down that slippery slope. So, you know, to, to understand Hillsong, you've got to have a look at the music and you've got to... You've got to take a look at it firsthand, up close, uh, and pick it apart bit by bit. And that's why I'm just so grateful to these two people for taking the time to, to really do that. Another thing was that I actually edited this and found like a really, you know, good old cliffhanger and went back to edit the rest of it and I just really liked it so I just it's a long episode you know what I mean? I don't know maybe you'll get stuck in traffic I don't know I just really loved it so 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 let's jump into by the door of the ear part one with Scott and Kat Kat and Scott thank you for making this time you guys lead such busy lives. I really, really do appreciate it. And we've got this little window and so much to talk about. So thank you so much. Can I just really just hand over to you and you tell us about like how you guys wound up in Hillsong and wound up together. Is that, is that an okay start? Yeah, we can do that. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you, you go. Okay. I wound up in Hillsong because I sort of semi grew up in the church. So like my parents are kind of Christian-ish. So my, I'm, I've got an Italian side of the family and the English side of the family. The Italians are very Catholic. So I was always around the church growing up. And my nonno and nonna are very, very Catholic, went to church like every Sunday of their lives. Kind of a um, very Australian background, isn't it? It seems to be like, yeah, like yeah, chunks like, of church in, in the family and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And my mum my put me in church because she wanted me to have a good moral upbringing. And so I was just kind of around church world a lot. And that's how I encountered Hillsong Music because I I was in the Catholic Church and then I moved over to the local Anglican Church because it was more exciting <laughs> by local church standards. And they were singing Hillsong songs. And so when I mentioned that to a friend of mine when I was in year seven, I just started at a new school and I mentioned, oh, you know, I knew he was a Christian. I was like, oh, yeah, do you know these songs? And he said to me, oh, I know the people who wrote those songs. And I was like, what? How does that work? Like, you knew the people who wrote the songs we were singing at our church on a Sunday. And he was like, yeah, yeah, they, that's my church. Um, and it turned out that his dad was a worship pastor at the church, which was Hillsong. And so my friend's dad was the music pastor. And that meant that you know kind of he had an, an in with a lot of like the crowd of people who were doing a lot of the songwriting he said oh do you want to come to church and i was like yeah 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 i'll, I'll definitely come and so we went to a youth night at waterloo uh in 2001 i believe it was okay and uh, 
yeah, yeah, interesting timing, right? And I kind of turned up and I met all these people and like my church, my little local church, there were three of us in the youth ministry. So when I turned up to the youth, you know, wildlife at uh, Hillsong City, I mean, it, it wasn't huge like it is now or was now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there now, but you know, it was it was still way bigger than that. You know, there were there were hundreds of kids there, and I I just remember feeling very much like, oh my god, like th this is this is kind of cool. Like I, you know, and I met all these people who were really different and cool and my age. You know, I didn't love school. I I you know didn't have a great time at school, but at church, the you know at yeah. this youth group, people were very accepting and very loving and uh, very interested in me, and I really liked the attention. And so I stuck around, like I was there for, and I, I only really left in 2019. Uh, I left, I left the day after the uh, the federal election um, where Scott Morrison came in, <laughs> because okay. I, was, I was so yeah. That that's another story. But I think okay. yeah, I was there for what ended up being close to 20 years. And starting out backstage, that's interesting, um, kind yeah, of sorta. Yeah, yeah. From the start, I kind of knew that there were you know, there were the, the people doing the music and the and being creative, which is what I loved doing myself. And then there were the people in the congregation and there was very clearly like that, that was clearly a divide, you know, like, and not in a nefarious way at the time. I don't remember, you know, like, I, I just remember being like, oh, it's cool to be mm -hmm. on stage. Mm -hmm. right? It's cool yeah. to be on the platform. And um, remember wanting that at a very early age, very early time in my, like my time at Hillsong. So couple of months later probably i just remember saying to someone oh you know i'd really like to be involved with the music team and they said oh just go and ask and i i think i can't even remember who was in charge at the time but i went up to somebody at youth and i said can i sing and they said yeah sure so they gave me a mic and the next you know a couple of weeks later i was up there singing and uh you know i was on team from then until i left i like the morning of the day I left church, I was singing. Um, <laughs> so, and so my my time at Hillsong was very much framed by being involved in the music, being around Beautiful. people who were writing songs. There was a period of time where I went on a few uh, Hillsong adjacent uh, international tours, doing worship music in places like Romania and the Netherlands and the UK, oh, and okay. that was, you know, a really enlightening experience because we went as we, we weren't technically Hillsong. In fact, I think the pastor that took us, even though it was a Hillsong pastor, I think he got in trouble for saying that he was from Hillsong <laughs> by the church. But, you know, we ended up playing essentially like very, very large venues doing Hillsong music internationally, which is very different to, you know, the Hillsong United team doing Red Rocks. Okay. okay. <laughs> but, so these are like, like church service things, like big productions? Yeah, well, like we did one of the biggest venues in like indoor venues in Bucharest, for instance. You could almost call Tour. It was like, the, yeah, we, look, I was very much the B team for like Hillsong music. <laughs> no, nah, but like there really was like there there are definitely levels of hierarchy within the team and, and as far as like where where I sat within that. Well, you weren't on staff. That's the main, like that's the main difference. No, I wasn't on staff. But Cause those big tours, those main tours are all, you know, they're all on staff, those music. So who, I mean, who pays the tickets to Bucharest then for you? Oh, it was the pastor who paid that one. However, the second tour we went on, he did ask for a loan of uh, so that I could, you know, 
put the money up front and then he paid me back. But I think wow. he made it. He made a loss on that tour Ooh. and I ended up being out of pocket. He didn't pay him back. He didn't pay me back, no. Oh my but, goodness. See, and these I'm these loan things are a, a side thing, but they just seem to come up too often, these accidents. Can I pay you later things? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh no, did you not get that email? All that kind of stuff. Damn. Yeah, they seem that seem to happen too often. So these are like church service things, and you're playing the music. Is that? Yeah, I mean, look, that was just like a small part of it all. Like the for the most part, I was there every you know every yeah. Thursday, Friday, Sunday, sometimes Saturday, and you know depending on if I was doing a sisterhood service or something during the week, I'd be doing that as well. So, you know, I'd, and I'd I'd just be rostered, so I'd be rostered to a service. But you know, I was singing most like for the most part, I was there like once a week. Uh, doing a worship service at Hillsong City yeah. somewhere in there and you know occasionally I'd, I'd be you know I'd do like and it's the entertainment center a couple of times or you know I was doing uh, backing vocals in a room at, <laughs> for conference they put they put us uh, in a room backstage to sing backing vocals oh, and I see so the the crowd doesn't know there's backing vocals yeah, yeah. So the well, doesn't see the backing vocals perhaps yeah the optics are I think that I think generally you get a better sound when you've got more control over the audio and you want the faces to be up front, yeah. you know, like you want your backing vocalist at conference to be the superstar singers that everybody recognizes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, yeah. people like mm. me were, who were, you know, regularly singing and, and had, um, you know, skills as backing vocalists. Cause I, obviously I was doing it for like 15 years. So I, I picked up some, some skills and how to do it mm. in a, in a, in a, Half decent way uh but people like us would be i guess put backstage so that they could control our vocals and put them into the mix to sort of boost the audio but yeah no i it, that's um i feel like i'm being very generous about all of that but yeah that's that was my involvement in it so. which is quite funny because i was just about to say to you sorry i was just about to say to you like maybe if you hadn't um been so you've just been really humble about that going oh i guess i probably know something after 15 years maybe if you'd gone out there with the whole like haven't you seen how great i am that seems to, i don't know that seems to work people go like yes you are Come to the fun. That's so, so yeah, weird maybe but I, you know i think it's there's an interesting thing at hillsong in terms of like how you get to the position of being one of the front like the main mm -hmm. vocalist mm -hmm. of the church is it is an enigma that we don't speak about you know like and I, do, I would regularly have people ask me, oh, how do I do what you do? How do I get up the front there? And I'd be like, I'd give the line, which is you've got to be diligent. You've got to have good character. You've got to be like humble and you've got to, you've got to get your skills up and make sure that you're really skilled. But I actually don't think any of that stuff was really as important as either knowing the right people or literally, it's going to sound really lame, but being cool, you know, like well, yeah, being relatable and like, having the qualities that I guess we would want from an influencer maybe, or, uh, you know, like a, 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 for lack of a, of a better word, like a celebrity, you know, the things that make people great frontline vocalists in sort of contemporary music are going to be the same things that, that work at church. But I don't know how you tell, tell somebody that in that church service, you have to be, you have to be like this in order to be promoted to those roles. Like I, you know, wouldn't it be the person with the best voice? This is what I never understood. It's absolutely no, because it's so much more like the charisma like, is so much more important, really, than the quality. And 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 I won't for now name names or anything, but there's certainly been people that I go, huh? And yeah, 
we, you know, we also, it, it happened that the Hillsong music happened the same time in the 90s as Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and stuff and all that. So I've always been like, really, like, the, is that really all the best you've got, you guys putting certain okay. people forward? So that's all. Um, uh, so you're telling me there's there are people with much better, more amazing voices that oh yeah, are yeah somewhere yeah. in the back room doing backing vocals instead of up the front yeah. with Selena. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think that what makes somebody worthy of being up the front. Sorry, our kids just come to join us again. Mm -hmm. Don't, um, don't apologize. <laughs> I think what makes some someone really, I think how somebody fits that role is going to change depending on the cultural zeitgeist. So maybe when Mariah Carey is the big name, that's what you want from your vocalist. You want okay. them to be like that. And that's the period in which you get, you know, people who are essentially like echoes of those very popular singers, you know, like, but then you you hit our, our age, like our like sort of millennial sort of mm. coming of age moment. And what's cool becomes something very different, you know? Um, and I, I'm not saying, cause like, I think the Joel, Houston United era, definitely taking after sort of Nirvana kind of inspiration -y kind okay. of stuff. But then you kind of hit our era and the look changes, the feel changes, and then you hit Gen Z and it changes again and it becomes, you know, something much more akin to, I don't know, like sort of the big artists right now, right? So I, I do think that the reason it's never articulated well, what's going to get you up the front is because you kind of have to, feel like like at the moment or maybe not at the moment it's a bit old hat but you know like five years ago you should you needed to feel like Billie Eilish or you needed to feel like you know somebody else to kind of be noticed and I think like I'm very conscious that it's possible that there are people listening to this <laughs> who who have been much more involved in Hillsong worship I don't think that they consciously think like that but I do think that that's what you end up getting is like like what Young and Free was five years ago is even now it's different because the look has changed, the feel has changed, the style has changed, and so they they adjust with those changes to to echo culture. Um, that sounds like a lot of pressure on the on the people on stage to hang on to their role. Yeah, I think yeah, and I think when you stop right. being that person, like those people from the eighties and nineties who were the big shots, yeah. And, when when all of a sudden their look and their vibe was not the thing that was cool anymore, I do think that that devastated them. I think it. I know a lot of them, and that I I do think that it actually wrecked a lot of them internally because the things oh. that gave them value no longer did. And we know how quickly people are discarded and forgotten, uh, mm. and and also prophesied over as you know the greatest thing that's ever going to hit the earth, and yeah. you're going to you know have this greatness and then it starts to happen and then the zeitgeist changes and see ya yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um now cat yeah cat go cat where were you born and and how did you wind up with these people and that man sitting next to you that you call your husband <laughs> um, how did so that all happen i grew up get to Hillsong. Uh, yeah i grew up on the north coast of um new south wales so mm -hmm. in a very regional area and i went to a small church in that area and so i was in one of those you know very small churches that was playing hillsong music to varying degrees of quality and um so north coast for people is like it's kind of hip hippie land kind of yeah quite hippie yeah quite hippie laid back really 
gorgeous area with beaches you know lots of free spirits going on there yeah yeah that's right and yeah i mean i was learning piano violin etc from primary school onwards and so then i naturally got involved in music at my small church and um i mean my parents um similar to scott's like grew up in the south of sydney actually we worked out that <laughs> my dad went to the same school as scott's mum's um close friends like that's how close in okay. sydney they were so you always had sydney connections yeah so my my parents grew up catholic as well and converted to pentecostalism in the early 80s i do believe okay that's interesting and that's a, that's not as like, like that's not one we hear about as often but it is a, a contingent catholic pentecostal kind of yeah well i think um you know uh you know they met on the north coast where i grew up and they converted to Pentecostalism and it was kind of in a way, you know, it was like the Christian answer to the hippie movement. And so mm -hmm. it was kind of very much had that vibe. Like I grew up in a Pentecostal church, the early part of my childhood, which was very like woo-woo, you know, all of those kind of 80s woo-woo, 90s things going on. Well, um, what do you mean? What, like like what, what's your woo-woo? What's your version of woo-woo? Oh, you know, like just after every single service like people lying on the floor laughing and okay okay good old toronto times yeah 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 so i saw all of that kind of stuff as like a you know i have memories of it at five years old six years old you know, so um those kids have watched that stuff i hope you older parents are listening right they grew up and they saw what you did yeah sorry yeah, well, so um, we ended up leaving um, the Pentecostal church in our area because, yeah, my, my dad had some mental health issues that were not taken seriously by the, the leadership of that church. And, um, oh, no, especially in line with that woo-woo. Well, yeah, exactly. They just wanted to pray it away and even oh. my mum wasn't, you know, stupid enough to think that was a good idea. So, you know, and wanted to seek professional medical help for my dad. So that was... Um, a reason to leave that church in the end but i i grew up the rest of my childhood in a uniting church with, with a really lovely pastor there but we um who's still a good friend of mine actually a good mentor of mine but uh you know we used to play like hillsong songs and so then when i was about 16 i went to a, the youth part of the hillsong conference in sydney uh one year mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was very sort of taken away with that and how amazing the music was and you know it was like this incredible experience for me as a teenager so a couple of years later when i was finishing school i'm i had already auditioned and gotten into a music degree to start after i finished school but i wanted to take a gap year and then that year that i was in year 12 my parents went to the hillsong conference again that year and basically came back like convinced i should go to hillsong college for my gap year which, you know, I was 16, turning 17 at the time, and I thought, oh, yeah, whatever, I, I can do that. I mean, so I, I mean, like your parents continued to go to church even after the negative experiences they'd had? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we, we wound up in a... Oh, because you were in Uniting. Yeah, and that's right. Like, the you know, mm. the, the minister we had there was a really great person who I'm still okay. in quite close contact with, you know. So. And then, okay, so that's interesting. So then I guess because... Uniting is so broad and stuff and inclusive. Yeah, Going to a Hillsong conference wouldn't be a big deal. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, they're very inclusive. And um, from my parents' perspective, like they had great sort of children's ministry. Like during the church service, they had mm -hmm. great things for their kids to be doing during the service so that they'd be 
engaged with you know Christianity and then when I was a teenager there was great sort of youth stuff with just a tiny group of us sort of four to five teenagers and you know I had a really nice community there and I would say it made a big impression on me as a young person and uh, quite in a positive way. Did you enroll in? At college? Yeah. I did the worship stream so on on keys on keyboard okay um okay. since that was my sort of main uh, instrument at the time throw us on the map here what year are we talking roughly even? um i did college in 2006 the year okay. straight after i finished school mm-hmm. my parents thought i should go to city college which is where scott would have been at the time though not at college at the church and i said no no, no i want to go to the big you know the big sort of flagship campus at Borkham Hills so mm-hmm. they helped me move down there I found someone to board with and off I moved at the age of 17 down to Sydney from you know a 10-hour drive south of where we live just for oh, context yeah. for anyone and so yeah I started at the college in a way like I don't know it, it's kind of funny to look back at it but I in a way I kind of had my sort of teenage rebellion that year <laughs> You know, yeah. I, kind of, yeah. I kind of ended up rebelling against everything it was about during the, the college year. Like, I mean, I, I enjoyed aspects of the college and like hearing a lot of the, you know, the stories of people that have come on your podcast, like my experience is wildly contrasting to that because, okay. you know, I'm Australian citizen. I'm not under threat yeah. of deportation or anything like that. Yeah. But I do remember that being a lot of conversation for people, other people at college. You know, that they had to scan into the class and they needed to be tracked that they were there. Otherwise, like, they could end up with their visa cancelled sort of thing. But for me, as an Australian, like, I could just waltz in anywhere, waltz out again, no one cared. There'd have to be some visa, like, you'd have to attend a certain amount of hours a week or something in for people. But but it's not that quick a jump where if you miss a class, you know, your visa would be cancelled. I mean, I can tell you now, Tanya, because I'm a tertiary educator now that... There are rules on on visa holding students, but when you're monitoring attendance um, to your tertiary classes, um, yeah, there is leeway and there is meant to be a process by which you consult with a student who, say, hasn't attended more than 20%. I mean, sorry, they've skipped more than 20% of the classes and then you would start to make contact with that student and Mm -hmm. sort of ask what the problem was. You wouldn't just have (laughs) absolutely not would there be any kind of like blanket threat to the student that if you don't attend like there's going to be all kind of severe consequences you know you know in a reputable public 17 year olds 17 18 19 year olds who are 10 hours from home by air a lot of the time but i mean i wouldn't know what the rules are on the other side of the world no exactly Um, yeah yeah i trust that i trust the good people yeah yeah i mean that was definitely a thing that i know like a lot of the internationals were having to consider but for me like i i really <laughs> i don't know I, I really didn't take my attendance at the college very seriously i mean i attended the things i wanted to go to you know i quickly worked out what was worth going to and so i kind of basically approached it that way and you know it was funny for me because like i was doing the worship stream and i kind of went in knowing that it was probably going to be pitched at at kind of a lowest common denominator like in terms of like my music progression you know say and then it was going to be more about sort of how to play at this particular church like I was very aware that that would be how it would go yeah so I did that that year look 
there's not really much to report about my year at college. Like I, I had all the same, you know, pressures in a way of the people that have spoken before about, you know, all being at the conference 18 hours a day and all of that. But for me, I actually managed to skip sort of the whole intern program (laughs) (laughs) because um, I mentioned my my minister from the North Coast who was like a great mentor as a team. He actually moved to another uniting church in Sydney, like right right nearby Hillside. So he actually, I was telling him um, because I was in contact with him, I made contact with him when I realised it was nearby, Borkham Hills. I said to him, I've got to do this intern program. And he said, why don't you come do it at my church, which was a United Church. I said, oh, that's a great idea. So I applied then to college to do my internship with him, which then meant I didn't get any of that kind of, you know, photocopying experience that a lot of your other people had. Sorry, photocopying. Oh, sorry. One, my uncle likes to call work experience photocopying experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know, I actually had quite a quite a nice little internship at this uniting church near Hillsong. So my question is, like, if an international college student had wanted to intern at another local church in Sydney, would they have been allowed to? Yeah, you know, probably like... not. No, <laughs> but that was my my college year. I um I did this internship with my former minister from the North Coast. In, it's around June in the year, and so that's like you know al- almost coming up to halfway through my year yeah. at college. So then from, from then on, I took it another another step again. So because what they have at church when you're at college is that you have to serve in two services and sit in one service. So you got three services that you're doing essentially. But after I did this internship, I then realised I could actually just move all of my like serving credits, you could say. For the, for the college to his actual church so I just moved everything oh, over. yeah I just moved everything over to this other uniting church so I was serving at the other and how, no, but how did that go was were there any uh concerns was there any issues raised well, from Hillsong itself no no not at all they just okay. said go ahead go do that if that's what you want to do and so in terms of what I was doing at Hillsong I was playing keyboard just like at the college services in the end and I was playing violin in like a little orchestra which I was involved in starting up and and I was serving at kids church during sisterhood services and I was doing street dance so I was still doing a fair bit at Hillsong but um you know in terms of my weekend involvement I had managed to majorly cut that down serving at and that's, I mean, that's interesting because people talk about, you know, the pressure to turn up and the pressure to contribute and, and all those kinds of things. So you keep kind of being like exit stage, right? I'll just, I'll be back in five, going up the shop to buy some milk and never coming back. <laughs> How did you get away with that or escape the, the guilt or, or what do you, like, what do you think? Yeah, well, as I said, it was kind of my, like, a bit of a rebellious year for me, like down yeah. these authorities and okay. I'm whatever I want. <laughs> And so, because I never really like skipped school or anything like that, I didn't have any of that kind of rebellion. And so I kind of had it at Hillsong College in the end. Yeah, so that was when I was sort of 17, 18. And then um, my parents ended up moving like closer to Sydney, like not into Sydney, but just uh, at another coastal area, just a couple of hours north of Sydney. So I ended up moving with them to save money when I started my real university degree. And what was the curriculum like? Okay, so come on now. You just said your real university degree. Stop it now. People people go through a lot of trouble to get these uh, qualifications. So I'm jumping ahead, but uh, what was the curriculum like comparatively? Because you what then 
enrolled in a music degree. Um, <laughs> yeah, well... She's being very tactful. I studied at Sydney Conservatorium of Music, which is right. the top music school in Australia. And it was a pretty big contrast. But, I mean, look, it was a classical music degree as well, so in that sense it's going to be contrasting. But I was also doing a Bachelor of Arts at the same time at, at sort of the main campus of the University of Sydney, which is really where the main comparison should lie because that's where my sort of academic tertiary-level courses ran. Like my music degree was about playing the piano, essentially, you know. But in my Bachelor of Arts, like that's where I had, you know, proper like critical discussion with other students and lectures that involved kind of yeah. proper referencing and, and readings and scholarly mm -hmm. material to consult. And that certainly, although there was a degree of that at Hillsong College, you, you really can't compare to to a public institution like Sydney Uni. Yeah. No. Yeah. Although I will say, to be fair, on, on Hillsong College that I was in quite close contact with a few academics from Hillsong College who they were real academics and they were wanting to they were even at the time wanting to start a batch of a, like a, a batch of music at Hillsong College and they were upskilling themselves and like trying to work out what what that would involve so I think there were people with like an intent to do something a bit more rigorous at Hillsong College but yeah my my own experience was again to be fair on it it was class I think as a certificate four which you know is yeah, okay is yeah. not it's not meant to be the same level as a degree in that sense so yeah, I mean, it was just a big contrast for many reasons, including those, to go to then Sydney Uni. So I, I lived uh, with my parents for two years at, like, north of Sydney and commuted to university. Um, and then a couple of years later, once I had the money, I moved to the city, to Glebe in Sydney. And then the natural thought for me at that time was, well, I should go back to Hillsong, but now I should go to the city campus. And I went... Yeah. Just a couple of months after moving, straight away I met some really great people who were kind of part of like the university community at Hillsong City. You know, those people, I, that was a really great experience being with, you know, hanging around those people. And that is how Scott and I met essentially through one of those people, like a mutual friend. And at City I ended up far more involved than I ever was at college. Like I attended City for 10 years. Yeah, um, that's because you met a boy. Well, that's partly why, yeah. But um, I also, I also uh -huh. just much preferred the vibe of Hillsong City to uh -huh. Hillsong Borkham Hills. What I was the like, difference then? The thing that I really picked up at Borkham Hills was like that it was very serious, you know, and it was very kind of well, when important people walk through the door, you pay attention and and you you know take it seriously. Whereas City was a, sort of much more relaxed. I felt people were friendly all the time. And that's interesting. Yeah. People made it I feel the yeah, the original vibe, wasn't it? Well, yeah, that's a, it. Really felt like a big contrast Darn. to me. I mean, it was smaller too, so that may have helped. And so I just had a really great time there for a long time. What year are we talking? I first went to Hillsong City in two thousand and nine, mm -hmm. and I didn't leave until twenty nineteen as well. Okay. So yeah, ten years. The okay, first. So you guys are both ten ten years at City base is that yeah right? exactly, yeah so majority of my experience was there at Hillsong City the first three years in particular were I would say like really positive like I had a really great time and then um in 2013 
<laughs> yeah, like so the first three years in particular were really, really positive. I had a really amazing community. Scott was part of that community. We got to know each other, but we're never dating in that time. We were kind of dating by 2012. And then 2013, like I just randomly decided to move to the UK because <laughs> I wanted to do a master's over there. And I, uh, I just very, had a very misguided notion that if I went, went over there and UK people will laugh at this, but if I, if I went over there and worked in the currency, I'd have a better time saving for the master's I wanted to do. Which um, anyone who lives uh, in the music, UK. musical arts, um, what were you looking at postgrad? What? So I by then I was working in 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 theatre as a musician and as a dramaturg as like a, a research consultant in um, script work. So I wanted to do a master's that was focused on theatre. So I ended up doing a master's of arts in Shakespeare studies at King's College London. But anyway, before I started that, I went and did a year of teaching. Then I managed to get a scholarship, thankfully, to do the master's. And then I moved to London. And then from there, I naturally went to Hillsong, London. And again, I managed to wind up with a, a pretty great community there. But um, despite that, I had some pretty horrendous experiences in London, which started to really turn me off Hillsong at that time. And um okay. Yeah, well, um, well, yeah, that's okay. Um, I uh, ended up living with a, a few guys who were sort of key team in in the the creative team in Hillsong, London. All right. So that and, says it. <laughs> yeah. No, they. I mean, again, like they were great people. They were really great people. They were under a lot of pressure from various angles at Hillsong, London, and I, I came to realise that Hillsong, London was quite a different beast to Hillsong City. In terms of. Like how do they, it's so interesting how these things replicate, but have a a cultural uniqueness everywhere as well. Like yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I guess the the key difference is that Hillsong London doesn't have a college, so it doesn't have that army of of people to kind of do yeah. the week in week out sort of. Well, essentially the manual labour, right? And the and you know these these musicians that I lived with. We're talking like nine services a day. Sometimes they would play for. You know, it was. <gasps> how many was it? It was. It was nine a.m., eleven a.m., one p.m., three p.m., five p.m., seven p.m. So sorry, it's not nine, but seven. Seven services. But then they'd be doing other services during the week, and also like they had to get there very early because they're packing in and out of the um, Dominion. Yeah, so, so they like... would they would bump in to the Dominion at six a.m. and and to be, the musicians weren't doing that, but they were having to get there by. By sort of seven thirty, I'm pretty sure. Oh, um, earlier than that, they were bumping in at five. No, but the musicians were not bumping in. Oh, well, but they some of them turned up for that stuff, didn't they? No, no. Okay, no, good. They didn't. keep me honest. But they were there. That means from you know seven thirty a.m. These people I lived with, through to basically what eight eight thirty p.m. nine p.m. And this is volunteering. One of my housemates ended up being on staff, but the others were all volunteering. You know, and um. It just seemed like so hectic. Like, you know, in, in Sydney when we are in creative team, like we'd get rostered for two services and sometimes I would yeah, do three yeah. because I'd say I'd do the 8 a.m., which was meant to be like an acoustic That's service, right. followed okay. by two others. I'd do them on, on keyboard. So I'd do like violin first and then I'd do two other services, keyboard. So my maximum was three, whereas my housemates in London were seven, you know, seven. And it was like... <laughs> so crazy and that was just the norm for them it was normal you know and so you know one of the, the worked closely with my housemates got wind of 
of me being there, like a keyboard player. And so asked if, if I would volunteer for something, like to play. And I replied, like, I think I got a text from this person. I said, look, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm actually on like a pretty prestigious scholarship that's funded my, my time to be here. And my focus is doing my degree here for that reason. So I can play at Hillsong, but it's going to be very low level commitment. You know, I kind of basically tried to state my terms because <laughs> um, I didn't want to wind up playing for seven services a day kind of thing. And how was that received? I, it might be slightly unfair to say, but basically ignored. <laughs> I know I never ended up playing for a weekend like that because I actually put my foot down before it ever got to that point. You know, I was asked at very short notice to, um, to play for a, a creative team event by this person. And it was like, I think it was 24 hours notice. And I replied saying, um, look, I can do it, but, you know, the quality is not going to be good if you ask me to play for this event because... I don't know any of the songs you're playing, like just, just for context, like they were playing songs at least 10 years older than the ones we played in Sydney. And not just that, but they, right. they didn't really play all the same parts and everything that we did in Sydney. They just kind of did their own thing with it in London. Yes. So I didn't really feel like I had my head around what they were actually doing with these very, like very old songs that I would not actually remember the chords for. <laughs> um, so I just said to him, look, I don't actually know these songs off by heart anymore like it's been you know a while since I've played them so you'd be better off asking someone else I said to this person but if you, if you can't get anyone else I will do it so he went yep 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 um, and then had me do it and so I did feel like I didn't play that well but whatever he just asked me to do it and then he asked me to play again the week after I didn't know what it was I was actually coming to, but it, it was actually like a, it essentially was an audition for these other musos that were joining. Hi. So he Hi. wanted me to play keys for this audition of this other bass player and stuff on this creative team night. And <laughs> basically like, so I turn up, I've been told a couple of songs I'm going to play. Again, they were, they were songs I hadn't actually personally played because they were songs that Hillsong played when I was a teenager and I didn't attend Hillsong at that time. You know, so I hadn't played them in, in actual Hillsong. I'd played them in like a tiny church band kind of thing at a different church. I then learned how they were doing it and, and prepared for this creative team night. And then I got there and we played those three and that was all fine. And then this person just started like calling out random songs to play, right? And one of them was this song called All Day, which for anyone who's been to Hillsong in the last 20 years, it's just like a, a cult classic, really, in uh, uh, cults of bad word to use, isn't it? But you know what I mean? It's, nah, it's, it's perfect. It's, a, it's just a really popular song in Hillsong. But again, it's like an old song that I hadn't played in a while. So I, I knew the chords because it was like a classic song, but I certainly didn't know like any standout things to do on the, on the keyboard for that song, you know? And so we played it and like it was, it was fine. But this, this creative pastor like... This, Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So he turned to me and, like, started dressing me down for not, like, knowing the song. And I I actually had a, a microphone at my hmm. keyboard desk and I talked back to this guy. I said, excuse me, no, like, I told you I don't know the songs you're doing. And so, yeah, I don't know this song. <laughs> and then he, like, started harassing this this bass player as well about, like, who was a new person auditioning. Like, he was calling songs out at random, just, like, trying to, like, build the pressure up for some reason. Who knows? Like, why you would do that? Like, I audition people for work and I can tell you, like, that's just a stupid way to audition people. <laughs> In terms of getting the best out of people's audition, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And, like, I wasn't auditioning. He was already asking me to do stuff, right? And so I just really didn't appreciate being talked to like that. And so I stood up for myself and I walked away from that that meeting, that creative team meeting, and I and I was like, "That's it. I'm not playing again. I, I won't stand for this, you know. And so I told my housemates, who were close friends with this person who'd talked to me that way, and I said, you can tell him. I'm not texting him. You tell him. I'm not playing again. And that was the end of it. So I just never, I never did anything else. And I was at Hillsong London for a good extra sort of nine months after that. But I'd never played again after that experience. How, how was that received? Did you, you know, was there any change in treatment or rostering or any kind of privilege or friendliness? Or? The thing is that I lived and had close friendships with people who were on key creative team, you know, so... It didn't really make a difference to me because after that, like after I said, no, I'm not playing, I'm not getting involved, they left it at that and I just continued on my merry way like as an attendee sort of thing. doesn't seem like that kind of stuff really actually bothers you though. You're not turning up to church for, to you know, to, to show everybody that you can take the most amount of punishment on stage and stuff. That's not no, you. I, no, like I was a professional musician <laughs> by that point. I was paid to work as a musician and I was not going to be treated that way when I was turning up for free. Like gobsmacking that they don't have a clue. Yeah. I I just wasn't going to stand for it. You know, like I I would get paid by the hour to do that same work in another context and there I was turning up and I would not have someone talk to me like that. And and they lose a conservatorium trained musician. Like. Classmates kept on sort of, you know, niggling like, oh, do you want to play? I'm like, no, sorry, I'm not. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. <laughs> that was that. I just was really firm after that, you know, and I said, absolutely not, I'm not playing. And so I didn't play again until I was back in Sydney a couple of years later. We came back to Sydney. Um, that's when Scott and I got married in 2016. And I just went straight back into like Hillsong City creative team. And I think I went back to playing, no, I only went, actually, 
because I was still so annoyed by what had happened in London. I I was asked to play keys again in Sydney and I said, no, I'm only playing violin because <laughs> violin's like really low-grade commitment compared to keys. Like nice. there's actually quite a lot of pressure on the keys player. <laughs> but yeah. when, when you're a... So they make you download like equipment onto your like software. Yeah, so you've computer, got to have all your own you equipment. Got you've got to have all this expensive software and stuff, which actually I had because I was working as a professional musician in theatre, but I, I was like, no, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to play keys. Like I don't want to be there all morning, you know, and I just, I'm happy to turn up to my 8am service on violin and kind of, yeah, when you play violin, you're actually just improvising, playing whatever you want. So I was quite happy with that role and I stuck to that for the rest of my time at, at Hillsong. So you were, um, you were back at City when you got back, yeah? Yeah, we were back to City and we were there for three more years and then we, when I was in London, I started a little bit of a deconstruction process, which then kind of sped up when we got back to Sydney. So I was kind of disengaged from essentially the, the content being spoken at Hillsong from pretty much from the time we got back. And so I was like in the service reading The Guardian sort of thing. So you guys are at City Church in what, 2016 and playing music and you're reading The Guardian in the... <laughs> during yeah, the like, motivation infomercial speeches and... It should be said though that at the top, like I was very, I was still quite heavily involved in Hillsong and still very committed to it while Kat was going through all of this. So it was... Yeah, so, I mean, the, the difference between me and Scott is that I grew up in a very fundamentalist Christian sort of environment, um, whereas Scott did not. So, yeah, like, I for the first time was sort of questioning all of that. Because actually, when I was at King's College London, um, they offered a theology degree on the side. So here's another interesting tidbit. <laughs> I did it. I did this course because it was available and... Um, these uh, ministers from the Church of England in, in, in London were just like speaking about the Bible and about sort of the teachings of Jesus in a way that was more similar to like, you know, what I had studied in my Masters and my Bachelor of Arts, you know, like uh-huh. with kind of proper historical grounding and, and not sort of like, oh, Moses wrote the whole first five books of the Bible, you know, like with actual kind of evidence-based yeah. sort of material. And I was like, wow, this is so different and so interesting and it falls down pretty quick after that, hey, when you go back to kind of like love, 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 Jesus loves you, you can have what you want. I just much preferred it. Like that's the way I think, you know, I think like yeah. an academic. And so I was like, wait a minute, so I'm allowed to read the Bible like I'd read sort of a, a normal historical book? Like they're just for context, like my academic work now, I'm a professional researcher now and um, the, the, the works that I look at are from 1500 to 1700 primarily. So quite old for the context of, you know, modern history. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole process by which you look at books of that age and even more so for books that are 2,000 years old, you know what I mean? And, I mean, if you want to throw in any elaboration on that, because that's fascinating too. We don't get to hear much of that. We get, oh, this is it. You know, the King James is the best translation and that's it. Well, the King James is from the period of history that I specialise in and, you know, it, it's a political document just like, you know, the original copies of the gospel would have been political documents. And so when I was what sitting... Mean, what do you, like, tell me, what's going on? What's going on? Because every, is everything kind of a derivative of the old King James that we see now that now, I mean, when you look at the message, do you just weep or, like, what happens there? Well, what's his name, the guy that wrote the message? I think he's actually a pretty great guy. Like, um, okay. I think the message is, is an, like, you know, it's an interesting exercise and I think it's got its own 
mirrors, but it basically the, the thing that did it for me at, at King's College London was to say, well, this book is not infallible, you know, it's a historical book. So like the way that these academics from King's College London who specialised in, in the biblical texts in their academic work, we're talking about these these texts as historical texts rooted in a particular period of time with a particular influence on them, you know, and I'd never heard anyone talk about the Bible like this. What was King James doing? Well, that's fascinating. Though. Well, King James, um, well, King, I mean, King James, you mean, you, you mean King James like in the, early modern England? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, he was, <laughs> well, first of all, he was extremely superstitious, King James. He wrote a book called Demonology, which was all about kind of the invasion of witchcraft into Scotland and all this, you know. So he had, he apparently, you know, so my PhD was on Shakespearean music and um, there's all these myths and legends around when he first saw Macbeth and stuff, you know, because he was a very, very superstitious guy. Oh, my God. Um, wow. Yeah, now, yeah. Now, how does that influence the average reader? That's because there's... Old King James and New King James, and then I could—I was like, no, nah, I'm New International Version. That's me. I'm an NIV girl, right? For life. What, what yeah, am well, I missing then, or gaining, or? Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, look, I'm not a biblical scholar, so I can't pretend to comment with any kind of authority on on the text itself. But I can comment on the period of history with authority, you know. And uh, so there was the Geneva Bible um, in the late 16th century which is generally thought to be a pretty good translation from the Greek, although I don't speak or read classical Greek, so, again, I can't comment on that text. I mean, King James's Bible was really, it was about the new Protestant nation of England. You know, that's what it was about. And so it was about forming that new Protestant nation, and, and here was the text for that. And I can't comment on the nitty-gritty of that text, but that was the purpose of the text, of that, of that printing of that Bible, you know. Yeah, like that, because during Queen Elizabeth's time, just prior, that was a very tumultuous period where there was a lot of, you know, pressure on her after, on Queen Elizabeth after a, like a period of Catholicism in England. But when, when King James comes in, it's kind of, it moves into a, a bit more of a stable time and in Protestantism and the King James Bible and the printing of that is a, is a big part of it. Okay, and so then, like accessibility of the text? Well, I mean, the, you know, it, it would have been part of kind of cementing that Protestantism in early modern England. So that's like the political purpose of the document, you know. Wow. So that that's all really I can say about it. But it was really, it was just really refreshing for me to hear academics talk about yes. the earlier, yeah. the earlier parts of the, you know, the earlier versions of the Bible like that, like with with an academic kind of perspective and I was like oh of course of course you can talk about a historical book like the bible like this because that's what it is it's a historical book so then by the time I got back to Sydney that was how I was thinking of it you know which was not kind of a hillsong way of thinking about it so it just meant that whatever they were saying from the platform didn't interest me <laughs> you know I checked well, out yeah, yeah and, so, and are you sitting by yourself there because uh Scott's on stage most of the time yes uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, um, I, I was. Yeah, I was we had our connect. Same. We had our connect group. So yeah, we was... were sitting with our connect group on a Sunday morning, and Scott might have been singing, but I was sitting with our friends, kind of thing. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, what are you, what's going on for you at the same time? Oh, Scott? like my my journey is 
kind of a little bit different because like I'm well Kat's going through academic world and is very much the academic I've, I've very much been like grounded in an arts career and and like have a theater company that I've been running for you know at, at the moment I've been running it now for 10 years so my involvement as a as I was acting as well so I was doing some touring with some shows when I wasn't at uh, back in Sydney so there was a lot of stuff going on and and once I kind of got out of the church bubble that's when the questioning started happening for me and I think for me I I guess I started questioning my own interpretation of the Bible and then I started questioning other people's interpretations of the Bible and at that point I had to kind of accept that I I couldn't treat it like it was like a, a book of magic or like some thing that wasn't as concrete as what it is and like I mean, these days I'm basically a materialist about my beliefs. And I'd say part of that is because the the way that Hillsong elevates the experiential in sort of a way that means that I was constantly being told that things were the Holy Spirit or things were had some supernatural grounding. And I think what that's kind of done is it's pushed me in the opposite direction now that I've kind of separated myself from it. And I do find it quite hard these days to believe in things outside of the natural, even if I wanted to. But uh, how do you define imperialist? What, is, what does that mean? I think like leaving what's here and what's now and what's present and what's tangible. And I believe in making a change here and now as well, I think critically. I, I've kind of moved away from evangelism as a thing. I don't want to convince people that there is a God and that they need to follow them. I, I go to, we, we still go to church, like we go to a uniting, go to uniting, church. A uniting church now, which is a wonderful, affirming, beautiful community. And they there's definitely room in that church to have these beliefs and still be a Christian. And I think I've found a form of Christianity that doesn't involve it doesn't involve evangelism. I, I'm glad of that. I'm really happy about that. It feels like good news now to me. Whereas it really didn't because like I mean I had a lot of friends growing up who like I mean a lot of young men my age would have a lot of people who it's not a real tactful way of saying it, but who've taken their lives, right? And there are a lot of people in my life who've done that, and I've seen a lot of people die in my time, uh, yeah, in, and even when I was a teenager. But, yeah, I think the idea that so many of those people have died and now gone to hell was not good news for me. I, I, I can't accept that as good news. There's nothing freeing about that, whereas the idea that, you know, we can we can bring heaven to earth, and that makes me excited, and that's something that I can get on board with. And, you know, that doesn't make money because evangelism is how you grow the church. And, you know, you're not going to have big churches if you throw evangelism out the window. But I, I like that, you know, we found a community that doesn't feel the need to do that. And, you know, with wonderful pastors and wonderful people. And, you know, I, and that's not to say the people at Hillsong aren't wonderful. I just think that there's some core, if you really want to identify how you end up with a church like Hillsong, I think that that evangelism is at the core of it as well as, a number of other <laughs> things <laughs> but, you know, yeah. in terms of when you say evangelism like out there recruiting kind of yeah recruiting like getting people to church making sure that people believe what you believe very strictly believe what you believe in order to find salvation sorry i feel like i'm just rambling about this it's fascinating it's really good and there's other alternatives for people like it's even um the idea that there could be another form of Christianity that's you know tolerable or, or like we've all been so terrified into thinking other things in case this slippery slope happens where you end up you know out yes. in the gutter suddenly yeah and I and, and again I, I you know I just 
not the theologian, don't see the emphasis on church in the Bible as, as you know, and now no. it's the be all and end all. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't see, I don't, I mean, again, I've said I question my own interpretation of it and I still question this interpretation. I just don't know if Jesus was talking about starting up, you know, uh, religious non-profits and like, you know, like I basic just, religious charities. Basic religious <laughs> charities. And like, I just don't think that that's what he was on about when he was talking about the church ecclesia. Like, I don't think that's what he's on about. I think it's about community. It's about togetherness. It's about unity. There's something political in that as well, I think, about how the, the small people yeah. can gain yeah. momentum and power by not by by unifying together and how nonviolence can overcome the violence of the state and like i think there's so many really interesting things that you totally miss if you just gravitate to this thing of like well it's heaven and hell and i got to stop people from going to hell so you know and then you lose all the beautiful nuance in the text and it's like i mean i said my journey was different this sounds very much like your journey doesn't yes. it but like <laughs> but like you know i i think that's how when we found like a uniting church where we are now i think we realized that christianity could be like that and that to me speaks good news i i can't i can't see anything but good news in that and it's interesting because people have said to me like i've had people outright say well then you're not a christian and i'm like no i am a christian because because i'm a christian that's what i am because like, you identify as a christian yeah exactly you know um, it's funny you know um uh, like a a really common offering message at hillsong was to do with this this story in I don't even know which gospel it's in, but it's G Jesus meets with this woman at a well and she's had like six other husbands previously or something. I'd, I don't remember how they spun that into an offering message, to be honest, but it was it, it came up quite a lot, didn't it? Like, it's the woman at the well, uh, you know, oh, you know, look how bad she is and look how, like I was, look, I found a message in my, I've been looking at my notes from when we were back at this Maybe it wasn't an I... offering message, just a general message. But, you know, our, our minister spoke about this story just a couple of weeks ago and totally reframed it for us because, you know, it's always framed, well, it has been in any Hillsong service I've sat in where it was like this woman was doing the wrong thing and look how she had six husbands and all this, you know, and then Jesus met with her, you know, where she was at kind of thing, you know, this is, which is very closely related to how they would frame an altar call, you know, Jesus is going to meet you where you're at. And our minister the other week was just like, if a woman in that period of time had had six husbands, um, probably like she was actually just being passed along, you know, because, you know, she was infertile or she was a very young woman who'd been like picked up by some older man and then passed on to some other older man, you know, like she was actually a victim. It was just a total reframing or of that. Brothers, like if you, you know, your husband dies and you move on to the next brother or something. You know, that was like <laughs> what was missing for me from the way sort of Hillsong would preach about various biblical stories like that, you know. But the thing that ended up doing it for me, like the reason I left, which is different to the reason Scott left, uh, is because we uh, we started this theatre company, which is classed as an incorporated association in, in the scheme of like not-for-profit organisations in Australia, which has a whole series of checks and balances it needs to follow, you know. And so in Australia, you have, you have a not-for-profit that is earning under $200,000. You have a certain amount of checks and balances and then if you go over that threshold it has a whole lot more checks and balances required and i was just sitting in i mentioned that i would sit in hillsong services and not actually engage with the sermon so 
the reason I left, I was sitting in a service one time and I don't know how I got to this, this page, but I essentially found, so I'm in charge of all the compliance side of our theatre company to make sure that as a not-for-profit, it is following the Australian Charities and Not-for-Profit Commission rules. And so I came across this page and it was just this independent auditor or someone who specialised in not-for-profit who'd basically gone through all of the um, top religious organisations in Australia. So we're talking like the Anglican Church, the Catholic Church, Hillsong, and had looked at their financial reporting to the ACNC. And this is back in 2018. And he had this, this sort of assessment of Hillsong's activities back then. And one thing he'd written was that they had deemed themselves not requiring an auditor. And like we'd been, we'd been sitting, you know, in the heart for the house service, you know, just a few weeks before where they boasted about how they'd raised $9 million or something like that, you know, and so a huge amount of money. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, hang on a minute, my tiny little theatre company, which earns, you know, under $100,000, is requiring an order to get tax deductible giving status. And here's Hillsong deeming themselves not requiring an auditor and they're allowed to do that because they're a religious organisation. Mm, mm. And I, it, out, it outraged me. Like yeah. I was furious. I was just like, this is, this is not reasonable. Why are religious charities not subject to the same rules as every other charity? And I, I mean, I don't think that churches should have to pay tax or anything like that, but I do think they should be subject to the same rules as every other charity, you know? Right. And I just, um, when you talked the other week about how they split their organisation into all these teeny tiny little charities so they could get away with, like, lower reporting scrutiny, you know? All you have yeah. to do is go on the ACNC, I think, .gov.au website, do a search for charities. You put the word Hillsong in and, I mean, I've last count was 20 came up and they're just, you know, Hillsong Church, Hillsong uh you know, HC companies, Hillsong Churchy, you know, all these different ones, open shut, open shut. And that's just the ones with Hillsong in the title. That's not Bella yeah. Burgers. Ever had a Bella Burger? Because yeah. they run that company, right? So that is an outrage. And it and and this whistleblowing, I think, has kind of blown the whistle on things a lot further in the system, like these giant loopholes. People well, yeah. shouldn't be able to climb through these giant loopholes, yeah? Um, no, like, to me, like for, for us, when we work in the not-for-profit sector, like it's 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 rage-inducing, you know. It's... I'm just horrified. I tithed. I was a tither. Like, you know, my first job, I tithed into that. And I just, and my parents were not, they were very Hillsong cynical. Like my family already had a history with Hillsong prior to my joining. So, and were already cynical because of that. I'd had relatives that were involved in the teams and had, you know, one relative who was very close with Frank, actually, but. You know, so I kind of had like they were anti Hillsong, and when they saw how much money I was giving, my parents were horrified by all of that, and they kind of had a right to be. But of course, like at the time, I I picked fights with them over that sort of thing. But I look at now, and I'm think like, you know, this is my first paycheck. It went to this church, and like and meanwhile, it's it. been spent on shape for it. Yeah, they took it. And encouraged you to work more. Like it, um, it's because on, on the flip side as well, and I need to get somebody better at it than me to talk about it, but somebody somebody actually pays for that and it's the taxpayer. And yeah. when well, they're... Yeah, that's exactly and, right. and, you know, I'll never forget somewhere down the south coast in Warrawong, there was a place that lost their funding for $80,000 to give homeless people meals. 
and it was during the Tony Abbott era where he was breaking coffee tables and stuff while he was drunk in Parliament House and stuff. But, you know, and they cut the funding to that. But, you know, on the other side, there's these huge chasms of just go for your life and, you know, little, like you're saying, smaller organisations trying to do their best, push that dollar further because, you know, the funding requirements and, Mm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's mm. like, and and you know, whatever comes of these financial allegations that are going through now, like, you know, they're obviously outrageous. But even back in 2018, when this guy just made a simple statement about they've deemed themselves not requiring an auditor, that was enough for me. Like, I was like, I'm not giving another cent to this place. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people have got questions about the audits that have happened, and then you kind of wonder what if that's how they've treated their documentation that's not going to be audited i don't care what it i don't know so it's a whole process like it's a whole systemic problem home yeah 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 i think they all just kind of think i think they've done it for so long that the idea that it wasn't supposed to be that way i think was lost somewhere in time i i'm sure george knew it was dodgy (laughs) but like i just think so many of these parts just got used to it and just were like, yeah, this is just how it goes. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the other the other thing I didn't mention is that I actually ran the University Ministry of Hillsong for two years at um, Sydney oh. Uni. I was leading that. And in a way, I was kind of coordinating all of the university ministries in Sydney the second year because I was just kind of trying to support the leaders at the other universities. Mm-hmm. But um, I can tell you now that, like, you know, the church didn't <laughs> any young people coming through from the university to be that important clearly compared to all the spending that's been coming out recently because you know the main money that we were getting was actually from the student union at um sydney uni to spend on our community you know we had trouble even just getting a bus to turn up to to take our university students over to church on i mean oh forget the weekend but on on like a powerhouse night or you know a, a young so, so you're in charge of the ministry at sydney uni of hills i don't what's yes yeah yeah i was yeah for two years so that's is that like hillsong on sydney uni campus or yes when i first started they were running a full-on service at sydney uni right okay yeah and i basically not putting money into it i see what you say okay yeah exactly right i basically convinced the young adults pastor at hillsong city that yeah, like if this was the amount of resource that was going to go into this service, that we shouldn't be running the service. And they agreed with me and we culled the service when I took over, not not straight away, but like about six months later. And we ended up just focusing on connect groups, which was much better because like the main thing university students want at university is community, you know, and they want... And it's, what a missed opportunity again, but they must see it as not worth the investment, I guess. Well, it was just silly. Like, I mean, I don't want to be down on what the people before me were doing, like, because they were doing their best and they were trying to do something good. You know, they believed in what they were doing. But without the church putting resources behind it, you know, it was just going to be a a pushing a rock up a big hill, you know, like it was just going to. But the church, this is how the church treats most of, it was how they treated most of the things that weren't kind of, I don't want to say profitable because that feels too crude, but I'm going to say profitable. (laughs) Like I was involved. Yeah. I was involved with Hillsong Miranda, which was down in the Sutherland Shire. So I was part of the church build down there. And I was there for like a solid 10 years. And then uh, 
what happened was just randomly one week, the pastor I, who I, I knew because I was, you know, working alongside them on this church plant was given an ultimatum by George. Um, yeah, George Agajanian, that they could either break free of the church and become their own campus or be a, subsumed into Hillsong City because the, the church wasn't wasn't growing. it wasn't growing fast enough for them to warrant putting any more money into this satellite campus of Hillsong in the south of Sydney, which, you know, we did two services on a weekend. We had a youth ministry. They we had to pull the funding kind of thing. They did. They did. They went they ahead did. and did that. George came down, spoke to the church, closed the church up, and that was it. And uh, a lot of people left the church. A lot of people, a lot of people left Christianity. Actually, a lot of people just completely walked away from the church. The pastor and the family and his family were just thrown to the curb. And uh, my, What's that, my sorry, were they supposed to attend at the city? Was that the? Well, the idea was, oh well, you will shut the campus down because he was like, like the pastor was like, I can't run this church without the assistance of the larger church. Like, I, I need that money for offices and hall hire and stuff and we don't have enough of it coming from this church your support makes this viable so he said well let's just subsume into the city campus and help our parishioners transfer over to city campus but we're talking the Sutherland Shire here right people don't leave the I Sutherland Shire no nobody well, travels yeah, I mean city. but it's a it's a 40 minute drive yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. 40 minute drive yeah yeah so they canned it and the parishioners went and found other churches or they left the church entirely. And uh, this particular pastor lost his job and that was it, kicked to the curb. And, you know, he previously been very, very, he was a very faithful man to the church. Like he'd been there worship. He taught me at college. Yeah, he, yeah everybody knew him. he a long time. But yeah. he, I think there was quietly, you know, like they just wanted to get rid of him. I, I get the vibe. And, How long uh, did that take, that process, like, so George turns up, gives you the ultimatum. How long you got? Like from when he told me, it was like maybe maybe like a couple of weeks. Yeah. <gasps> like Shocking, it wasn't. It? I remember me like him. He was looking really down. I was like, is everything all right? And he was like, hey, this is what's happened. And I was like, okay. Absolutely. So and he asked me what I would do. And I was like, well, you can't run this without. <laughs> a 20-year-old. Like person. asking. Yeah, I was in my early 20s. But I mean like. You know, fair enough. Like he didn't have very much support around him, and I guess he trusted me. But I was like, I don't think we've got much choice here. We we've just got to we've got to take the. There really wasn't. I mean, that I, and ultimately it was his decision. I'm sure he asked a bunch of people what they thought, but like it was horrific. I that whole experience was just awful. <laughs> like you know, I'm still good friends with his son, the pastor's son, and we still meet up regularly. And you know, I it's still, I'm, you know, it's just. How long had that church been operating? It would have been about ten years, oh, if, sure. or at least close to. Shocking. You know. Wow. And we worked, we worked so damn hard on that church. Like we, we were there morning, noon, and night over the weekend, from like Friday to Sunday, doing stuff to make it a success. But yeah, I, they they just deemed it not financially viable anymore, and so they cut it and killed it, and that was it. And I, I went to city because I'd always sort of been going to the city as well as going to this other church. But that, that just showed me how ruthless. It was I the first experience of how I ruthless. Mean, I wonder how many churches then are under that kind of pressure right now because they've had a tap on the shoulder and, you know, you'd better get your numbers up. And so that's, uh, that's brutal. Yeah. That's yeah, brutal. I, I'm fairly certain that there's a lot of pressure on churches of... Hillsong satellite churches, they, they really are quite ruthless at that top level. And I just like, I know people are like, I know people who were denied, like they don't, they don't have 
paid parental leave. So, you know, there were some people that were like, you know, forced to essentially just take leave without pay in order to have kids, you know, who weren't given any grace at all when it came to that sort of stuff. You know, meanwhile, they're like, like it's part of their core branding for their like internal team is like, look at how many children are coming. It's like, it's all about families, right? It's all about families, isn't it? It's all about families and, and <laughs> welcome home and stuff. Because there's a, there's an old story of actually Sutherland CLC where they were just a Christian life centre getting around, you know, singing some songs with an overhead projector and Mike Murphy turned up and went, oi, uh, you know, you'll call yourself this or... And they beg, like, please, this isn't our theology. This isn't us. So, yeah, get on the truck. It, it just must be going on everywhere. That's all. We, you know. Yeah. I do have another story from Hillsong London, which is not my story. I don't know if you think you should include it. It's like one of my housemates experienced it. It's It just, like, really speaks it's... to the culture, I think. One thing I, so I had my own kind of, pretty negative experience in the creative team at Hillsong London but my housemates too like one of my housemates he was a professional musician as well like and volunteering at Hillsong so not on staff and he um, like at our at our flat where we lived we actually had our flat which was five people no sorry we were four people that all went to Hillsong and all were on uh, you know were all creative and then across the hallway from us was another flat that also had another four people who all volunteered at Hillsong and worked professionally in music as well so we were like quite a little community there what ended up happening like we had like a prayer morning most weeks that one of my housemates was running then he um I think he went he basically organized like a an evening like at one of the two flats in our building where they were just going to like have some worship like some music and like pray and whatever and so they did that so they you know they all volunteered Hillsong so they played all the Hillsong songs and then had a prayer night. It got back to the staff at Hillsong London that this was happening and they basically said to my housemate who was running it that they weren't allowed to play the Hillsong songs in that context because it was not an official church event, which was just like such a ridiculous thing to say to him. He gave, so, this is one of those people that was playing for seven services a weekend, every so week. Because like, I really liked that song. It's like, every step I take, I take with you, you oh, know yeah. me and Jesus. Like, if I sing that, do I have to give them 50 cents? Yeah, exactly. Is it just like they want royalties? They want the, the license number? Right, from right, the right, it's, <laughs> like, how ridiculous. These people are giving so much of their time, you know. And then they're having their own little community night with the community that they had, you know, formed around being at the church and they were told, no, they couldn't play the music there. Yeah, well, like, you can't just go around having people, this, but sent this video that, like, there's your Dior that, like, us basics would be allowed to see, but then there's high-level Dior as well. So, you know, you can't, that only some people will be allowed to purchase. You know, you can't just have people going around singing hill songs, and it's very controlled, isn't it? Because then yeah. they can keep the brand a lot. Yeah, exactly. and like they would say, "Oh, we want to control like the quality of our music." I mean, but that's an outrageous thing to say to these people who all played at Hillsong and volunteered their time. You know what I mean? Like, but it's art as well, is it? I mean, it's art, and it wasn't it supposed to be worship music? Like you, like do, if you're singing it at home to God or something, do you have to? Like, do you have to just like text them or something 
But well, like, where do you draw the line with this? You know, is it's off brand. I don't know. Was it supposed to be used in that context? Like, at that time? wow. And that really does. I mean, we had, or I kind of monologued at you before. We jumped on the pod that, like, there's just so much to this world of music. And I always think of like walking and see walking to church. And like, there's your friend on the door that gives you the pamphlet and goes like, hi and stuff. And, and then like, you're looking for your seat and stuff, but there's that strumming in the background, like, doo -doo -doo -doo. and you're just like, oh yeah. And people are chatting and stuff and it's Sunday morning. And there's that strumming in the background. Yeah. Like, cause we're getting ready. We're just sort of warming up to get into proper church. And from that moment, you're in this music thing. Well, you do know, don't you, that all of that stuff is like planned down to the minute and the second. But, but, but I, tell me, tell me everything, please. Tell me everything, and tell me what it's like from the on stage part. Like, well, I'm I mean, just there talking to my friend, and it's like, oh, this is crazy, and there's people talking and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, they have what they call the pre-roll, so that's prior to the service starting. They have five minutes of like professional video footage with Hillsong music like it, it's like a you know a very well cut film clip with Hillsong music and like inspirational text on the screen and stuff and that all comes uh, actually it's not all Hillsong music is it in that pre-roll well normally it's like a kind of like a hypey sort of yeah, track with like, like meant, um... meant to be like building the energy ready for the service to start you know and for those of us on creative team like we know that pre-roll off by heart like what's in it right and we know that it when it gets casual and stuff though well i mean it's 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 pretty like i think these days or at least when we were there it was definitely much more pumpy yeah it was quite pumpy when we were there like sort of hey baby you all right yeah, I, I you finished yeah, I don't know if we've had strummy music kind of for a while. Oh, no, um, no, like, so I can't even remember what the detail is of the pre-roll, but at the time we were going, anyone on creative team knew the point where it was 30 seconds until the service starting and it did have a change in, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. The, music, the music dropped out and there was this, like, pad thing that came in and then it was more, like, inspirational kind of church-related music that would come into the video. And we knew at that point that's when we were to leave the green room and to stand on the stage and get ready okay. to start. And we know to um, sit down, yeah. Yeah. And we all knew that that is 30 seconds before the video ends as well. So, so you, it does, it conditions, what it does is it conditions everybody. Everybody knows, yeah. yep. I hear this music, this is what I do. So because yeah. I mean, just thinking back stuff, I haven't memorised this just like you kind of thinking back and that's, I, yeah. I can remember knowing, okay, it's like being in class, you kind of like you chat, and then the teacher walks in and then you know to sit there, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So the whole creative team ends up on stage. The congregation knows to get ready for the service as well. And then it starts. Well, there's an order to that as well, right? And that's the moment when Scott and Kat's little girl came into the room and it was time to go swimming. So I went swimming. Such, such lovely people and... We talked on several occasions about several different things and, yeah, all of it music and, you know, right up close. Awesome. I'd love to make some announcements about all the bonus content and early release stuff that is coming, but I seem to be the only person in the history of this podcast platform uh, not to be able to resolve that error. On the screen and... um. 
Hey, Raphael from um, Customer Service has stopped uh, writing to me, but, you know, here's hoping, hey? Always been one of those special cases, you know, where they go like, oh, I've never seen one of those before. So hang in there. You know what you got to do to be a part of this pod gang? Like, share, subscribe, listen over. Send us feedback. I love, I really, really love sending your feedback on to the guests afterwards. It's like this really, like after all this stress of the interview and oh, what are you saying? And then the editing. Is this all right? Okay, good. It's on. And then the, then the really cool stuff comes. So, you know, chuck a comment up. If you get a chance, send us a note. Like, share, subscribe, turn it into a video and take away the number you first thought of. So the time has come to say goodbye to, wow, if you're over 50, L-E-A-V-I-N, Hill, S-O-N-G. Have a really good week or day until we next speak. I've edited part two, but I'm going to drag it out a bit. Please look after yourselves. I need you well and strong. We've got, you know, court cases and... All kinds of things to look forward to. Uh, something else I'd encourage you to have a look at before we forget is uh, reading Hillsong. A little project uh, started a couple of years ago where we read Hillsong books and we're looking to do more and more. So if you're interested in being one of reading Hillsong's readers, check it out on Insta, Facebook. Please get in touch. We want a variety of voices reading our holy texts so that, you know, the message can get spread as far and wide as possible. Check out the Reading Hillsong trailer and you'll see what I mean. Thanks so much for spending this time with us. Me, all of us. Be kind to yourself. Go on, you can do it. Kind to everyone else. Might as well be kind to yourself as well, hey? Even it out. Keep leaving Hillsong. We'll talk soon. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.